Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I hope that song put a smile on your face. I hope you were thinking about what you were singing. Nobody fills my heart like Jesus. Glad to see you this morning. We are in week seven, the final week of our Every Believer a Witness series, which means everybody needs to have a seven handout. If you snuck in here today without a number seven handout, raise your hand. One over here, DeWitt. Uh, one down here in the front. Keep your hands raised and DeWitt will make sure that you get Everybody needs to have a, a handout this morning as we talk about being a witness. And I want to remind you as well as, uh, as what Orlando shared just a minute ago. One over here too, then DeWitt. Um, this isn't the end of this effort. This is in no means the end of the effort. It is the last week of the learning part of the effort. The doing part uh, continues, for sure. So, we have been talking uh, for weeks about being a better witness for Jesus. And as, as the year goes on, we're going to move on to some other things in the next week and a few months and talk about other things, because there's other things we need to talk about. But we're going to keep circling back to this idea of we need to be telling people about Jesus. Over the past six weeks... We have talked about the fact people who know Jesus, telling people who don't know Jesus how they can come to know Jesus. And we've talked about overcoming our fear, not eliminating it, but overcoming our fear. We've talked about sharing our Jesus story, our life before Jesus, how we came to know Jesus, our life since Jesus came into our lives, uh, last week we talked about uh, pointing people to Jesus through Thanksgiving. Remember that? Praying for our server, praying for others, uh, sharing Jesus through written material. By the way, if you missed one of those lessons, um, I'd, I'd encourage you to go online. Go to our webpage and you can get caught up. Also, if you missed a handout, we have all seven of the handouts. If you see one of the ushers, in the lobby uh, later on this morning, we can get you whatever lesson you might have missed. I heard about a guy who walked into a library and he went straight to the librarian's desk and he said, I'd like a Coke, some fries, and a cheeseburger. The librarian was a little bit taken aback. He said, Sir, do you know where you are? And he looked around and he said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'd like a Coke, some fries, and a cheeseburger. If you want a Coke, fries, and cheeseburger, you need to ask the right person, right? Asking the librarian probably isn't going to get it done. When we think about sharing Jesus with our friends and our neighbors, we need to be asking the right person to be involved. Because the reality is, you can do everything that we've talked about in the last six weeks, and you can do it perfectly. You can tell your Jesus story several times a day, every day. You can talk to people... You can, you can pray for people at, uh, you know, at, at a meal. You can hand out, uh, you know, some written material. You can do everything perfectly. But if you don't ask the right person to be involved, you are not going to get the kind of results that we might expect. So this morning, we're going to talk about appropriating divine power. How can we see results? And by the way, I think this is probably the most important lesson in this series. Not just for this series, but really for our lives. 
appropriating divine power. And I got a lot of information to go through this morning, so I'm going to ask that you kind of hang with me because it's really important stuff we're going to be talking about. We began this series by focusing on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus tells his disciples shortly before he goes back to heaven, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And we've been sort of focusing on that witness part. But this morning, I want you to look in your handout, and I want you to circle that word power. Draw a circle around the word power in your handout. And then I want you to draw a circle around those words, Holy Spirit. And then draw a little line connecting power and Holy Spirit. Because what becomes of our witnessing is completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because not only does the Holy Spirit enable me to witness for Jesus, it also enables me to live my life like Jesus. Holy Spirit makes it possible for me to be more like Jesus. Middle of page two in your handout. The power of the Holy Spirit results in a life that is a witness. We have been using the term witness as a verb, rightfully so. You know, we witness to our friends, we witness to our neighbors, but it's also a noun. As a follower of Jesus, I am a witness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am a witness. Now, everything we've been talking about, it's not just a series or a program or, a, you know, an event or a task. It's about the overflow of our hearts being more in tune to sharing Jesus. It ought to define who we are. The Holy Spirit shapes our lives. We're all familiar with Galatians chapter 5. Um, Verse 22, where Paul talks about what a life led by the Spirit looks like. Paul says, let me tell you the result of a life that's led by the Spirit. Let me tell you what he calls the fruit of a life led by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't all those words describe Jesus perfectly? Don't those words describe who Jesus is? And what Jesus does, a life led by the Spirit enables me to live my life more in tune with Jesus, more like Jesus. Oswald Chambers said, the Holy Spirit's the one who makes real in you what Christ has done for you. And I think that's a pretty good explanation. Turn to page 3. Uh, look again at, at uh, Acts 1.8. Again, this was right before Jesus ascended. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness. It's kind of an interesting verse. Because if you back up to John 20, it appears the disciples already had the Holy Spirit. John 20, 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Even though they had received the Holy Spirit in John 20, Jesus knew they were going to need more of the Spirit. So by the time we get to Acts 2, after Jesus has already ascended, we read, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, just two chapters later in Acts 4, these same disciples we were talking about, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. It appears that the disciples were continually being filled, continually being led, 
continually being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in the first century was enabling them to speak the Word of God with boldness. Okay, that was 2,000 years ago. That was then. What about now? Top of page four. How does the Holy Spirit come on you? Just like those early disciples. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. It occurred in baptism. Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. That was Peter saying, this is for you. It's for your children. In fact, it's for all who are far off. And again, that's us. We're far off. All whom the Lord our God call. So if you've been baptized, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. If I were to give you a gift of money, what would you have? Money. If I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, what do I receive? Receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And then Paul talks about a few things. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And we pray all the time for God's will in our lives. When we're young, we pray, God, what's your will as far as, you know, where I go to school? Or, you know, who I marry? We get a little bit older. What's God's will in my life for my job and my career? We're always praying for God's will in our lives. I know what God's will is for your life. In your life, in your life, in your life, in my life. It's God's will that I be filled with the Spirit. Okay? If I receive the Holy Spirit at baptism, and I did, why do I need to be filled with the Spirit? Remember we just looked in the first part of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 4, we read, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. What happened between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4? They were filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and then they were filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 4. What happened in between? You know what happened? They leaked. They needed continually to be filled with the Spirit. They need to be empowered with the Spirit, to stay in step with the Spirit. And by the way, that's a principle that holds true with anything that you are attempting to fill. If something is filled with any substance, it must be emptied of everything, anything that's already in it. If you're going to fill something up, you've got to empty out what's already in there. Principle holds true when you're talking about the Holy Spirit as well. How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? One of the first things you've got to do is empty yourself of anything and everything that does not please God. Let me share with you a, uh, a visual. I know you've been wondering, what is this about? Probably wondering, what kind of a communion service are we going to have, right? With two giant jugs of grape juice. Yeah, we're not two cuppers here, two pitchers. Um, suppose I wanted to add this milk to this grape juice. Suppose I wanted to put this milk, I should say, in this pitcher. Well, I could just pour the milk in, 
Now, those of you who will remember your high school chemistry know what's going on right now. But even if you've forgotten what chemically is going on, I hope you can sort of see that is not good. Okay? That milk is already starting to curdle. It's already turning bad. Last, uh, last week, my wife left and went to Tennessee for, for a week and a half to be with our children and grandchildren. Um, that means it's just me and the dog at the house. Two nights ago, 3 o'clock in the morning, our dog sleeps beside our bed. I woke up to our dog going, Hope! 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 Nothing will get you out of bed faster than a dog that is about to throw up. Out the door! Out the door! Out the door! She didn't make it out the door. But if I were to take a big drink of this, this would be the most memorable sermon you've ever seen. <laughs> you would not remember the thing probably about what the point is, but you'd remember the preacher throwing up in front of the auditorium. I'm not going to take a big drink of that. But if I want to fill a pitcher that has something else in it, first, I've got to empty it of whatever it is that's in it. And then once that is empty, then I'm able to fill it. And I'm able to fill it with what I want to have in it. And it's not nasty. And it's not upsetting. And it's something that I can use. Now, it's a pretty simplistic visual, but I want you to remember it for a little bit. Look again at the top of page 5. How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Where well, you going to have to empty yourself of anything and everything that does not please God. Have you ever heard anyone say, He is so full of himself. She is so full of herself. You know what is true. You're full of yourself. <laughs> I'm full of myself. Paul would call it our sinful nature. I'm full of myself because I'm selfish. And because I want what I think I want. But it's God's desire that I live a life led by the Spirit. It's God's desire that I live a life defined by love and joy and peace and patience and all those things that are a result of a life led by the Spirit. It's God's desire that I live a life reflecting the love of Jesus to people that I know. But that's not going to happen until I empty self out of the equation. I've got to empty self. How do I do that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, really that verse couldn't be easier to understand. If, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. That's up to me. If we confess our sins, that's something I have to do. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's up to me. By the way, I want you to know, I'm talking to Christians here. John is talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't exactly apply to you. But if you're a child of God, John wants you to know, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
If we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just. But then John says, but wait, there's more. It gets better. If I confess my sins, this is the kind of the nasty version of me, if I confess my sins, John says he's faithful and he's just to forgive our sins. But what about the sins I can't remember? What about the things I've done that the Holy Spirit hasn't prompted me to ask God's forgiveness of? What about all those sins? You say, wow, Tim, you sin that much? Yes, I do. And so do you. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and, John says, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does He forgive us, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And now I'm cleansed. Now I'm clean. And now I can put in there what I want in there to begin with. Now this container doesn't look nasty and gross. Now I've got in there what my purpose was. Let's make this as practical and applicable as we can. What exactly do I need to empty myself of? Middle of page five. I need to empty myself of every wrongful deed. If I want God to forgive me, I need to confess every wrongful deed, every wrongful action. Galatians 5, um, Paul talks about uh, sin. And he doesn't have to give us a list, but he does. He says, hey, you know what sinful actions are, and then, and then he gives a list. We could pretty easily come up with our own list of sinful actions and sinful deeds. Cheating, stealing, pornography, immorality. Those have to be dealt with. Those sins have to be confessed. And we understand that. We get it. We struggle with it mightily. But we understand it. But beyond those overt actions, there, there's another category or two that we need to be empty our, emptying ourselves of if we're going to make room for the Spirit. And that is, we need to empty ourselves of every wrongful word. And really what I'm talking about here is sins of the tongue. It's amazing how much the Bible has to say about the power of what we say. The power both to heal and to hurt. I've got James 3 on the board. The tongue's a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. And you know that's true. Ephesians 5 warns us against obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. And again, we get that, right? Don't swear. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't tell dirty jokes. We get that. We understand that. There's also some other, a little more subtle ways that we can sin with our tongue. Ways that are pretty easy to slip into without even realizing it. Things like slander. Putting somebody down. Sort of make ourselves feel a little bit better. 
about gossip? Ooh. See, now I'm meddling, right? There is so much hurt that can be inflicted from people gossiping, and we rationalize it in so many ways. Proverbs 26.20 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. So much pain inflicted through gossip. I heard about a lady named Mildred who was sort of the gossip of her congregation. And everybody knew it, but nobody was willing to approach her and confront her because they didn't want her talking about them. But she finally met her match one day when she started gossiping about a new member by the name of George. She had seen George's pickup truck parked in front of the only bar in town. And so she started telling everybody she knew, and she actually went and told George as well, you know, we all understand who you are and what you do because we've seen your pickup truck parked in front of the bar. George didn't argue. He didn't try to defend himself. Just walked away. That evening, George parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house and he left it there all night long. <laughs> now, we laugh about jokes like that, right? But listen, gossip, slander, lying, sins of the tongue, they do so much damage. Hurtful words, once spoken, can only be forgiven. They can't be forgotten. We need to empty ourselves of every wrongful word. And then, we need to empty ourselves of every wrongful thought. And again, Scripture talks about this all the time. We need to pay close attention to what we're thinking. Where we're allowing our mind to go. You know, all the way back in the book of Exodus, we're in the top ten list. Thou shalt not covet. Don't look at somebody else and say, I want what you have. Instead of being thankful or you know, thanking God for their blessings, we get resentful and we get spiteful. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our minds our thoughts, our imagination, our, our ideas. We've got to pay close attention to what we're thinking about. You know, an idea pops into my head. A thought comes to mind. Paul says, you've got to take that thought captive. You've got to make a decision. Is this leading me in step with the Spirit? Or, or is this pushing the Spirit away from my life? And of course, it's easy to talk about and to preach against things like coveting and jealousy and selfishness and mean, evil thoughts. Yeah, we want to take those thoughts captive. But again, I think there's some subtle things that, that maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, we might find ourselves being caught up in as well. How about things like gratitude or forgiveness? Don't those start with a thought? Isn't that really a mindset? I'm going to decide to be more thankful. I'm going to decide to be more forgiving. I am really trying to become a kinder and gentler husband and father and friend and preacher. I'm trying to grow in my gratitude. I, I want to 
be better at seeing the things that God has done for me and the things that other people do for me. I want to be more gracious. I certainly, desperately want to be more forgiving. I'm trying to grow in that area. And I want us to be a kinder and gentler family of God. I want us to grow in thanksgiving. And I want us to grow in forgiveness as well. But it's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's taking every thought captive and deciding what am I going to do with this thought? Where am I going to take it? How am I going to make it obedient to Christ? But if the Holy Spirit is truly working in me and through me, I'm going to empty myself of every wrongful thought. Okay. Bottom of page 5. Ask Him to fill you right now with His Holy Spirit. Can I just be honest with you this morning? In the churches of Christ, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we usually get a little bit weird about that. And I don't know why. Because Scripture talks about it all the time. Let me share with you something that most of you, I'm sure, are aware of, you, aware of but it speaks to this idea. And if you're aware of it, at least uh, you know, let me remind you of something that I think is very powerful. Uh, Acts chapter 7, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, we call it. And we're really familiar with what he says here. He's comparing an earthly father to the heavenly father. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, you, you evil earthly dads, you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We know that verse. It's a great, powerful verse. And we understand the teaching of that verse. God gives above and beyond what we can even think to give you know, for, for our own children. Our Heavenly Father is so much more generous, so much more blessing than we as earthly fathers are. We ask, God gives. We get that. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to say almost the exact same thing, but with one huge difference. Luke chapter 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? And this time Jesus doesn't say, give good gifts. This time Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, but it's nothing like the gifts that God gives. If you ask... He'll give you the Holy Spirit. You ask, He gives. That's how good our Heavenly Father is. That's how much God loves us. If you ask, He will give you a greater measure of His Spirit. And Jesus died so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. He purchased that relationship with a, uh, the greatest price possible. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit just kind of changing everything in our lives in a heartbeat. But very seldom does He work that way. More often He works slowly, teaching us to trust Him, increasingly molding us and using us in greater and greater ways. You want to see the Spirit working and active in your life? Ask God 
for a greater measure of His Spirit. On page 6, there are some final challenges to this series. I actually kind of want to go backwards with that list. I want to begin with number 3. Commit to share your story with one person before next Sunday. You know, this has been an ongoing challenge. Share your Jesus story. Tell people your story. Make sure the gospel is included. But tell people what Jesus has done in your life. I hope by now this has gone from a weekly challenge to a daily focus. I really hope this is starting to become who we are and what we do. I hope it's starting to become part of your DNA as you get more and more in tune with the doors that God is opening for us just to brag about Jesus and point people to Jesus. I want to be known as someone who talks about Jesus. I want us to be known as people who talk about Jesus a lot. But we all know how easy it is to get distracted from that. We all know how easy it is to kind of put it off a day then turns into a week, which turns into a month, and pretty soon we're not even thinking about Jesus. So back up to number two on page six. You've made life-changing commitments during these past seven weeks. Obviously, Satan's not happy with your focus. And he's not happy with what you're attempting to do. And that's why it's really important to have someone in your life that will hold you accountable. And again, we kind of get weird about that word accountability, but just someone who cares enough about you and knows you well enough to, to say, how's it going? How are you doing? Someone to keep up with your week and your progress. And yeah, maybe it won't be asking you all six of those questions that you see in your handout, but somebody that you trust enough and care enough about and vice versa that's going to say, how's your witnessing going this weekend? Somebody that sends you a text praying for you this week. Somebody that will remind you to keep, as a person who knows Jesus, talking to people who don't know Jesus, how they can come to know Jesus. Now, not everybody's going to make that commitment on number two. In fact, I suspect most of you won't try to find someone to hold you accountable and to share this journey with. But some of you will. And I know who will do it. I know who will ask someone here in this family, would you keep track of me and help me keep track of myself? It's the people who are really serious about talking to others about Jesus because there's a lot of encouragement and there's a lot of strength in somebody knowing that I'm trying and somebody asked me how's my effort going so if you're willing to find somebody to help you in this journey and by the way I would suggest women choosing women and men choosing men but if you'd be willing to help someone or find someone to help you in this journey you know, sign your name Talk to somebody before you leave today. And then number one on page six, again, kind of going backwards, you leak. We continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in order for the Spirit to take control of our lives, we have to empty ourselves of anything and everything that doesn't please God. And that means that we've got to take 1 John 1, 9 very seriously. We confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
For seven weeks, we have been talking about telling others about Jesus. But nothing that we've learned, nothing that we might have attempted, nothing that we have talked about is going to have any effect on anyone if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. If the Spirit of God is not involved. And by the way, if He shows up, He will show up with power. And the great thing about that is, I don't have to be that talented. (laughs) I don't have to be that powerful. I don't have to be a Bible scholar. I don't have to have a whole bunch of Scripture memorized. I can be a little bit fearful. I can stumble and bumble through my Jesus story. And with God's Spirit working in me and through me, all I'm doing is a little bit of planting and a little bit of watering. I'm not making anything happen. I'm just pointing someone to Jesus. God's the one who convicts hearts. God gives the increase. He does the work. This morning, maybe you need to get rid of some of those things in your life in order to make room for God's Spirit. Odds are pretty high that there are things in your life that you need to confess and that you need to repent of, to ask God for His forgiveness. He is still faithful. And He is still just. And He will still cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe we just need to be reminded of how good God has been to us as we think about introducing others to Jesus. Through our story, through thanksgiving, as Paul said, become all things to all men, whatever it takes to point people to Jesus. Let's close with a prayer. Lord, we want to glorify You in our lives today. Help us to love people like You love them. Give us a burden for lost people. Help us look for opportunities to witness today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Orlando has a song that he's going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. As always, if something's on your heart you want to share with the family, you can meet us at the front of the auditorium here. Let's stand and sing.